0: Hi, I'm Sue and I'm the pastor here. I want to welcome you to Sermons for a Critical Faith, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are so glad you're taking time to listen today. If you find what you hear helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. We hope these messages are encouraging and uplifting to you. And be sure to stick around after the message and I'll give you a little more info about how you can get involved and be a part of all that God is doing here. So a long time ago, in a land far, far away, twins were conceived. When they were still in their mother's womb, they were fighting with each other, and the Lord said that one would be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. First Esau was born, and literally grabbing onto his heel was Jacob. In those days, the eldest son was entitled to twice the inheritance of all of the other sons. Notice, girls didn't get anything in those days. (sighs) Yeah. One day, Jacob saw an opportunity when Esau was not thinking too clearly to entice him to trade that extra share of his inheritance for a bowl of soup. Then, when their father was dying... Jacob tricked his father into giving him his blessing. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. When Esau found out what he did then, he tried to kill him. So Jacob ran away. Many years have now passed, and because of his greed, Jacob burned a few more bridges behind him, leaving a trail of anger and resentment in his wake until God finally told him it's time to go home. And that's where things get awkward, because home is where Esau is. So Jacob sends a note to Esau I'm coming home, and by the way, I know I stole your inheritance, and I know I stole your blessing. So, I'm going to send you a whole bunch of oxen and donkeys and flocks and slaves just so hopefully you won't kill me. Word comes back, Esau has received your note and he's coming to meet you, and oh, he's bringing 400 men with him. And Jacob was afraid, in fact so afraid that he took all of his flocks, all of his herds, all of his slaves, all of his possessions and he divided them up so that if Esau did attack, maybe at least half would survive. Jacob was hungry for money, he was hungry for power, and so he tricked and schemed his way through life, gathering all he could, even at the expense of those closest to him. And now it's time to pay for that. This is what happened next. Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and then Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and Esau took it. Once again, a word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. So we've been talking these last three weeks about our our money stories, you know. What are the stories we tell ourselves about money? Where did we learn them, and what role do those stories play in our lives? Jacob's money story said wealth and power, actually said wealth equaled power and influence. Probably also a sense of self-worth. When you think of money and its role in your life, What does it symbolize for you? Safety? Comfort? Achievement? I worked with a family a few years ago. There were three siblings. They were really close. They vacationed together. They, uh, They were best friends. They had holidays together. Their kids were also best friends. But when the last of their parents died, there was an ugliness that came out that surprised everyone. Everyone got a lawyer, the siblings stopped talking to each other, and it became all about who got to control what happened with the inheritance. And it was so out of character for this family, so out of character for anything that I knew about any of those siblings. The only thing I could put it down to was love. The pain of losing that last parent was so great that they took it out on each other by fighting over the inheritance. I think money became the stand-in for everything that they had lost and all the loss they were feeling. Unfortunately, that's not an uncommon story. Money often becomes the stand-in for other things. It's it's an easy weapon to use when when you're hurting or when you're feeling small. And I think that's important to remember. Money itself isn't good or bad. The real question is, is what does it symbolize for you? Maybe for some of us, the question is, what are you hiding with your money stories? What fear, what loss, what, what pain undergirds them? The challenge is recognizing that and then writing a new story, one that won't come from your fear or your pain but a story that comes from hope. That's the rewriting process we actually saw with Jacob. He went from scheming to get all he could, no matter at whose expense, to actually seeing wealth as a tool to say, I'm sorry. Before he went to see Esau, he sent a whole bunch of gifts ahead of him to his brother. His hope was to restore his relationship. Now all the money in the world couldn't change the past, we all know that, but by using his wealth as a peace offering, something that Esau knew was really, really important to Jacob, a new future opened up that would bless them both and those around them. Now the question might be, what caused that shift? Because when God first said, go home, Jacob was afraid. Rightly so. The last time he saw his brother, he was trying to kill him. But here's the rest of the story. The night before Jacob went to meet Esau, he wrestled with God. This is that famous story of Jacob wrestling with God. The wrestling match ended in a draw, which in itself was kind of interesting, and that's, that's a story for another day. But Jacob left that wrestling match with a limp, It took a toll on him and a new name. The name was Israel, the one who strived with God and humans and prevailed. I was thinking about that phrase, wrestling with God, because I think a lot of times when we use that, we're really wrestling with ourselves, with a a desire or a feeling deep inside us that we're trying to deny or um, a conflict between we know what is good and our own fears. And so I think what happened with Jacob that night was he was wrestling with his own fear of going back to see his brother, knowing what he had done. And I think he finally realized he owed his brother more than just an apology. I mean, after all, he stole not only from Esau, but from generations who weren't even born yet. This was the inheritance that's passed down from one generation to another. It's where the family wealth comes from. So it was time for Jacob to face his past and make things right as best as he could. And so what we actually see in this story is Jacob is trying to make reparations. Now, I realize when I pick that word, I'm using a word that, that is politically sensitive today, let us say the least. Especially in regard to reparations for Native and African Americans, both of whom were denied, in a sense, their inheritance. And the repercussions have have, um, reverberated through the generations. I want to talk just a bit about that, because it's a big picture thing, but I think it's relevant to Jacob's story and those own broken relationships in our own lives. Let me be the first to say when it comes to the national conversation of reparations, I don't have the answer for it and I don't think there's one right answer that will make everybody happy. But no one can deny that the motivation to deny rights and opportunities in the past had a lot to do with money and power. So as we look at the sins of the past, does money and power then play a role in writing a new story that might bring about some healing? In 2019, Princeton Theological Seminary, which is one of our Presbyterian seminaries, uh, they'd done a two-year study looking at how the seminary benefited from slavery. And they set aside after that $28 million for reparations. The seminary never owned slaves, but they also determined that somewhere between 15 to 40% of their revenue before the Civil War was directly tied to slavery. And some of the seminary's founders and leaders used slave labor in spite of speaking against it. So, a little bit of an issue right there. They've set aside this money for changes in their curriculum and new scholarships and doctoral fellowships for descendants of people who were enslaved. And you know who gets to decide who gets those scholarships? The African-American students, staff, and alumni. That's who gets to decide. Needless to say, not everyone was in favor of this action. Some thought it went too far. Others, not far enough. But at least it was an attempt to write a new story. How do we acknowledge our past sins and use something meaningful in that particular context to bring about some healing and reconciliation? That's what Jacob did. I think he was humbled by his wrestling match with God, So when he finally saw Esau face to face, he told a new story. He used what was so meaningful to him that Jacob knew was meaningful to him and used that to at least open that door to say, can we write a new story together? And that was powerful. You might have noticed that Jacob's story is not about money though. Just like our money stories really aren't about money. If you look back over the past three weeks of this this worship series, what we've really been talking about is our relationship with money and how it affects our relationship with others for good or bad. If we're going to write new stories that are filled with hope, our own relationship with money and power may need to be transformed, at the very least looked at but transformed as well. We saw Jacob's story being transformed when he went from from grabbing all he could get his hands on to to actually needing to give to be set free. He had to beg his brother to accept his gift, and I think Esau finally recognized that Jacob needed to give in order to move forward. And we see that in the actions of Princeton Seminary when they have said that repenting of past sins and empowering those who were Uh, Hurt by them is more important than money in the bank. I wish that that family uh, who had lost their, their last parent there had been able to do the same thing and recognize that their acting out over the inheritance was probably really about grief. If they could have written a new story about what that inheritance represented to them, and then use that inheritance in a way that that honored the love for their parents. Maybe their bonds would have been strengthened instead of torn apart. We don't know. They chose not to go that route. But the question that prompts for us is, what are the stories that need rewriting in our lives? I chose the Gospel reading today because it's one of the best examples I know of what happens to a story when A story that could have destroyed a life and a relationship is rewritten from a place of love. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, and yet when Jesus was on trial for his life, Peter was afraid. He was afraid that somehow he was going to get caught up in stuff, and so when asked if he knew him, Peter said, no, I don't know, I don't have a clue who this Jesus guy is. Three times he denied knowing Jesus. Leaving Jesus to his fate to die on a cross alone. Well, in a world where the dead don't come back to life, imagine how Peter might have felt when he realized on the boat that Jesus had come back from the dead and he was on shore waiting for him. Some scholars actually wonder if the part of the story about Peter jumping in, taking off his clothes, jumping into the water and swimming, it was, they never, you notice they never said, Peter swam towards the beach. I actually wonder if he was trying to swim away, if he was afraid to actually face Jesus. I mean, Jesus could have come back pretty angry. He could have shamed Peter. He could have blasted him with a bolt of lightning and left him a smoldering ruin. But instead, Jesus decided to write, not just write a new story, to rewrite an old story in a new way. He simply asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. And then Jesus gave him work to do. Three times this happened. Once for every time he denied Jesus. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. There is still a place for you with me. Jesus rewrote a story of betrayal and shame into a story of love and calling. And Peter then had the freedom to, instead of hide in shame, become one of the church's most influential evangelists. So what are the stories you need to rewrite? Maybe you've been hiding your insecurities behind the accumulation of things. What will it take for you to let go of those things and find security in God? Maybe you've suffered great losses in your life. Maybe it's made you bitter, some of them. If so, how can you rewrite that story of loss into a story of love that invites you to take that love and share it with others? Be a sign of hope for others. I had a funeral here yesterday of uh, a man who'd been 30 years sober. Anybody who's dealt with alcoholism knows that even when you're sober, you can't erase the past. And there were still some bitter feelings there in the family. And I so appreciated the son saying to me just before the service that he actually forgave his dad the night before. He decided he needed, for his own sake, to rewrite that story so he could live. How can you rewrite or write new stories that acknowledge the pain of the past, but invite reconciliation and hope. And then you got to put action on those stories. Jacob gave Esau a portion of his wealth. He didn't just say, I'm sorry, oh no, this is still mine. He gave him a portion of his wealth. Princeton Seminary designated $28 million to lift up those who for generations had been held down. Jesus offered an opportunity for meaning and purpose to the one who betrayed him. Actions matter. That's part of writing a new story that is life-giving and not life-taking. They aren't just words. Our stories are lived. Because we started this series talking about money, let's go back to that just for a sec. What do you want your money story to be? Because you actually get to write your own story. You don't have to keep carrying those stories from your past. You don't have to be captive to the stories you've been raised on or the ones you've lived with all your life. Because we follow a God of new beginnings. So maybe it's time for a new beginning for your story. And you get to decide how it starts. You also get to decide how it ends. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. At First Presbyterian Church, we believe that we aren't meant to do life alone. We're made to do life with others. So if you're looking for a community of people who will meet you and welcome you and love you and accept you just as you are, then head over to our website, fpclincoln.org, to find out how you can join one of our groups or studies and get connected to other people. Or if you just want some information about our church or want to talk to someone, You can fill out a connect card and someone from our team will reach out to you. The link for that card is under the Contact Us tab on our website. Every week, we get to hear stories about people finding God and lives being changed through these messages. And none of this would be possible without the amazing generosity of the people of First Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to be a part of helping this life-changing message continue to go online each week, you can make a donation. Just click the Give tab on our website. And we thank you for your generosity. And thank you for taking time to listen to our podcast. Be sure to check out our other episodes or check out our YouTube channel at FPC Lincoln and check out our other messages to help you on your journey. And don't forget, Subscribe to Sermons for a Critical Faith so you can know when we release new episodes. We love you and hope you have a great day.